instead of talking about how many deals did marketing source, how many deals did sales source, what we should be looking at is how do we get all of the opportunities possible to go through the optimal path into the organization, right? What's the best, most economical way providing the best customer experience to find those opportunities? Welcome to the OpStars podcast. We host authentic conversations with revenue operations professionals running the show behind the scenes, holding things together, doing whatever it takes to innovate to solve problems, build processes, and manage the data to build a modern revenue engine that powers a great buyer experience. I'm your host, Rachel McBrearty. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Rachel McBrearty, and I'm joined today by Carrie Cunningham. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Kerry brings over 25 years of experience in B2B demand generation and management, spanning a broad array of industries and markets. Throughout his career, he's been a thought leader in the design and implementation of processes, technologies, and teams. He was an analyst at Serious Decisions and Forrester, where he authored and co-authored a wide range of key models and frameworks, including the iconic demand unit waterfall. Kerry is currently a featured thought leader at Sales Assembly, the industry's only scale-as-a-service platform that leads B2B tech companies on their journey to scale better. And he's a product marketer at Sixth Sense, an account engagement platform that helps revenue teams identify and close more opportunities by putting the power of AI, big data, and machine learning behind every member of the B2B revenue team. You have an impressive and impactful career, Kerry. Can you share some highlights of your journey and what led you to Sixth Sense? Sure. And it's a bit of an unusual journey. So I spent most of my career is probably, you could say, accidental. I wanted to be a, a writer. I got a job in uh, San Francisco working for a B2B teleservices firm at the time, uh, working part-time and trying to be a writer. After a number of years, it, I decided to stop being as poor as I had been. And the company started to grow. So I was like the 15th employee in this company or something like that. It started to grow. I took a management position and poof, uh, 17 years later, uh, we sold the company. <laughs> and I was the VP of operations for the last 12 years or so. And we were up to, um, I think at our peak, about 500 or so B2B, BDRs, SDRs, inside sales reps. There's been a commonality across a couple of different phases of my career. I've worked with a ton of startups. We we're in San Francisco, headquartered in San Francisco. And I worked with an absolute ton of, of startups and other tech companies doing a lot of building out the initial value prop if there was one, also discovering if there was one, which prior to the first dot-com bust, there really wasn't a lot of the times. And uh, we sold the company I stuck on with the, uh, the company that bought us for the year that I had to. And then I spent the next five years outside of business altogether working in uh, research labs, primarily in social psychology. And got a graduate degree in organizational psychology in that time. Had to decide whether I was going to be happy and poor for the rest of my life or once again, go back into business, which ultimately I chose. And about a year later, started with Serious Decision. And in the time that I was out of business, marketing automation completely took over B2B. It was just starting. In fact, I'd had a job offer from one of the really early marketing automation platforms that I didn't take. Which may have been a mistake. I probably would be a little bit better off today than I was then financially. But you know, when I came back, it was all about inbound, all about leads and MQLs and lead scoring. And I looked around when I got to serious decisions, and I'm like, "What the hell are you people talking about? This is like nuts." Uh, especially when it comes to lead scoring. 
And uh, that's kind of what I've been saying ever since. And it's what uh, ultimately with a buddy of mine led us to develop the demand unit waterfall, which is quite a break from what had been going on before. That's kind of the long uh, story of a bit of an unusual journey, but a lot of time seeing the inside of a lot of different demand gen, lead management organizations at serious decisions. I mean, literally hundreds over the course of seven years. So it's been a career in which, you know, the interesting thing was until Sixth Sense, I'd never actually worked in a software company, but I'd been doing work for software companies for 25 years. And so it was, uh, it's been fun. It's been interesting. And it's cool being on the inside now, if you will. What brought you to join Sixth Sense? What's exciting about what's going on there? Yeah, so they're doing the stuff that I've been advising everybody that they should do at Serious Decisions and then Forrester. And that really comes to um, saying that the MQL is, is simply not the right thing to be focused on as a B2B organization. That the buyer in B2B is a group of people. That was the insight that we had about six years ago and said, you know what, this actually does change everything. If you're going to be focused on the buying group, then that MQL doesn't really matter unless there are other members of that buying team that are there also. There's lots of different ways to identify these other members. One, you probably have multiple leads. That's one of the reasons I wrote a, a paper two and a half years or so ago at Serious Decision saying everybody should have lead to account matching. Because the only reason to care about a lead is if that leads inside an account that you could sell something to. And you have to know that first. And then for most B2B organizations, really the only reason to care about a lead is if that lead brought friends. Because if they didn't, 99% of the time, they're not going to buy anything. They're not in market. They're just curious. So our big thing at Serious Decisions became, all right, you have to be able to recognize and execute on the buying group. And that means seeing multiple leads, seeing the anonymous traffic on your website, seeing third-party intent. And over the last few years, Sixth Sense started building and has continued to build what I think is the best machine for doing all of that, for identifying all of that, and then being able to execute on it. And to be honest, I just got tired of telling our clients, well, I, I can't recommend which uh, platform you use because I, I couldn't do that at, at Forrester. But here's a couple of things that you ought to go look at. And when really what I wanted to be saying was, yeah, you should just go do that. <laughs> just go pay the money. It's not that complicated. And we'll get a squared away for you. And that's what I say now. Yeah, excellent. We have a lot of innovative, forward-thinking clients. And we're seeing adoption of Sixth Sense and then complete transformation of go-to-market motions. So it's very exciting. So curious, Carrie, what's next then? What are you championing as the next frontier then in, in B2B? I kind of think of B2B as having been four big eras. The first one was where I started my career and back in the 90s, before there was digital marketing, before there was marketing automation, you know, marketing's job didn't really involve demand at all. There was no demand yet back then. It was just, you know, you were the arts and crafts department, but also field marketing, doing events and that kind of stuff, but not real direct demand yet. Then we've got digital Digital really brings in demand gen because people can fill out forms. And now marketing is the one receiving names for the first time. And I mean, that was like the coolest thing in the world was people giving you their names and email addresses. That was, and that was, of course, uh, abused very badly. 
And then I think you know ABM. You could look at the last few years as being the the era of ABM, where companies are saying, "Well, it's not just this lead gen stuff doesn't quite do it, and especially for our biggest accounts, and we're not aligned with sales and all of that." ABM, okay, but most ABM practices are still built on the same infrastructure that demand gen is using, so marketing automation and Salesforce. And those two things by themselves do not get you that full perspective of an account and all the different opportunities inside it. We use the term rev tech. It just means we've got to have a not it doesn't have to be a single platform, but it's got to be tools that are completely aligned, completely integrated across the revenue lifecycle from the time you're identifying prospects to the time sales is closing them and even through the customer lifecycle where we're looking for new opportunities there. So I think that's the, the next phase is stepping past demand gen and ABM and saying, you know, really B2B is about accounts period. So there's no point in calling, you know, it's, it, there's no point in just talking about ABM. Everything is ABM and B2B. Then what does that mean about how we identify buyers? How do we see all of the signals about who's in market? Use those effectively to get in front of them and to influence them. Measure marketing's contribution much differently than we have in the past because it's been pretty tragic, I think, for marketing the way it's been measured. That's what I think it is. It's an aligned platform or aligned set of tools that can see buyers the same way across the entire cycle where marketing and sales are seeing the same thing all the time. And uh, you know something that we talked about uh, back at Forrester right before I left was this idea that I think marketing and sales need to align around, which is organizations today generally have two main pathways through which opportunities come into their organization. There's marketing, generating some leads, getting them qualified a little bit, maybe through the BDR team, and then sending them off to sales. And then they have sales doing their outbound prospecting thing and, and working their networks. And what occurred to us is that that first pathway is probably optimal for net new opportunities, like being able to identify those and have them come in through marketing at, at scale and all of that is optimal. And probably the worst thing is for sales reps to be out prospecting. That's probably the worst use of their time, probably the least economical way to find deals. But in between those two things, there are lots of possibilities. Like there's the who's on your website anonymously. There's who's looking at third-party data. All of these different variations on which accounts are actually in market and which should be the next priority for the sales team. And I think that's really where organizations have to get to today. So like instead of talking about how many deals did marketing source, how many deals did sales source, what we should be looking at is how do we get all of the opportunities possible to go through the optimal path into the organization, right? What's the best, most economical way providing the best customer experience to find those opportunities? And I think that's the alignment that B2B desperately needs. We introduced that concept back at the Forrester Summit last spring. And it, again, is a big part of the reason I moved to Sixth Sense because I think we've got that or we've got a lot of it today and we'll have the rest of it at some point in the near future. So long answer to that, but that's really what I think is where it's coming. Got to get past the who who touched it first kind of question and get to something that really matters a lot more. So the next frontier is really connecting sales and marketing, having everybody see the same thing, having an opportunity as that construct. Yeah, that's exactly right. We were really explicit about that 
in the stuff that we wrote at, at Serious Decisions and Forrester. Like the demand unit waterfall is an opportunity-based waterfall. And in fact, when we were developing that, Terry Flaherty and I, we wanted to call it the opportunity waterfall. But at the time, there were a lot of folks inside Serious Decisions who thought, well, that's going to sound like we completely are dropping marketing and we're just focusing on sales. Not the case, but we wanted everybody to be focused on opportunities. The new version of the waterfall that we just released last May before I left is we're very explicitly for opportunities. Like it's a, opportunities are the thing that if you want to know what your target market is, you got to measure it in opportunities because most B2B organizations have multiple solutions or could sell their solution multiple times into the same account. So if you're just counting the number of accounts, you're going to be off by an order of magnitude about how many opportunities there are. You have to know how many opportunities there are. And then when you think about intent data, intent data is at an opportunity level because it's about something. Every bit of intent, if it matters, is about a kind of is about a solution or at least a problem uh, looking for a solution. So it really always has been opportunities. And part of the reason that the lead gen machines have been so broken is that when you look at marketing, and you guys know this better than anybody, when you look at leads in marketing automation and you ask the question, if there's 100 leads, how many distinct selling opportunities are there? The answer is never 100. Right? The answer is probably maybe two-thirds of that number, sometimes half of that number. You know, On average, uh, the day that we would look at uh, with our clients at Serious Decisions, the number is around between one and a half and two and a half uh, leads per potential opportunity in marketing automation which tells you that if you're measuring marketing's effectiveness by lead conversion rates and you don't and you're not connecting those things then you're really doing yourself a disservice if you're market I mean it's it's a tragedy you know it's, it's terrible uh, so it's really the the right entity that you want to do is you connect those leads together the opportunity is a great one to do it with uh, we saw some really cool things in in lean data data when I was back at at Forrester when we were talking about this that a substantial number of lean data customers are already connecting leads directly to opportunities. And those are smart people. Uh, that's, that's what we think is really the right way to go. Yeah, it definitely is a, a great way to get your arms around what is it that you need to nurture. You know, one of the, the things I think that is a little bit of a barrier is the current state process. So even in our own organization, when we first started out, we want to create a $0 opportunity. And that was like $0 opportunity. You're going to completely throw off the way we weight sales, the way we measure, because typically an opportunity needs to have a number. So is that something that you've kind of thought through is how, how do you really use this opportunity object, let's call it, right, in a new way? And, and what are some of the changes that, and mindset that have to happen or process that have to happen? There's some uh, technical changes, some process changes. That was such a big objection for us at Serious Decisions that we gave it a name. We call it sacred object syndrome. That uh, sales would be sales was the only one allowed to touch that sacred opportunity object. And it's the first objection you get from organizations when you say, hey, we want you to use your opportunity object differently. But it's actually super easy to get past. Uh, you just say, look, your opportunities today uh, feed all of the pipeline reporting and all of that, right? So we're not going to change that. that that's not going to change. But we're going to use that object and add a couple of more stages above the ones that you have now. So, you know, we have a lot of organizations when I was uh, back at, uh, I'm just going to say Forrester, but it includes all of the serious decisions of Forrester, back at Forrester, where 
our clients started moving the opportunity object use one stage earlier. So typically a, a BDR, SDR is handing off an opportunity or creating an opportunity for the sales rep when they create that appointment. So instead of doing that, do that one step further. So when you start going to qualify a lead that you got, open up an opportunity, attach that lead to that opportunity. And now this is the other uh, thing that's really, really important. Like if you're following up on a lead, the instruction has always been, you know, take your, do your, run your cadence against it and hopefully it'll work out. But if it doesn't, you've got a cadence and you're done. But if you were prospecting into that same account, you would never in a million years do that. You would say that you would, the instruction would be, okay, we want to get into that account. Here's the two or three best people to try. Here's the names, the buyer personas, and, you know, go knock on all of their doors and figure it out. But when we get a lead for that same account, we just go, oh, okay, well, let's try this one person and then give up. I mean, uh, it's like the opposite of what we should be doing, right? So what we got a lot of people to do back at Forrester is say, okay, let's open up the opportunity one step earlier. If you've got a NMQL from that account, great. Look to see if there are other people who are active in marketing automation now. That's why you need lead to account matching, get those things attached. If there are, don't wait for them to become MQLs, grab them down, attach them to the opportunity, and now go knock on their doors, right? And we've had a great uh, case study or two from our customers who did that. It just makes the BDRs massively more efficient. It's a much more realistic use of those names. Like if those three people are in your uh, data at the same time looking at your content, they're on the same team, all right? And you don't need to follow up on all three of them separately. Uh, you don't need to count them as three separate selling opportunities and only convert one. They're the same thing. So use that to prioritize the BDR effort. Like if you've got an opportunity that has one person attached to it, an opportunity with three, put more effort against the one that has three, that's probably a hotter opportunity, right? That makes a lot of sense. That makes them more effective. But even moving that back a little ways to say, okay, well, if that's sales stage minus one, then sales stage minus two is maybe we open up that opportunity automatically when we get inquiries from uh, prospects and we start to generate a score at the opportunity level that's an engagement score for that opportunity because now I can start to see which ones I now I can prioritize every opportunity that way and that's the way we come talk to our uh, customers about doing that back and forth or I think every time an organization does that it makes a big difference and it's a big alignment issue with marketing and sales it really puts marketing and sales focused on the same thing not how many names can I find, but how many real selling opportunities are there and how, how real do they seem? Excellent. So if I'm an operations professional listening to, to this and I'm like, yes, my organization needs it, what advice would you have for them and how do you approach getting started? Yeah, that's a great question. And the first most important thing to do is understand what this looks like in your own data. If you're, if you're an ops person and you've got leads, go have a look now at what's the ratio at the very highest level, the ratio of leads to accounts, right? And it won't be one-to-one. -one. It'll probably be something like, you know, between one and a quarter or one and a half to one or something like that, sometimes more than that. Then the next thing to look at is what percentage of the leads that you get are onesies. They're the only ones who came in from that account, say, in the last 30, 60 days. What we typically would see is something like 60% of the leads were onesies. Right? The rest of the leads, however, are not. They came in groups. And then we want to see if they came in groups, did that lead to opportunities being opened and opportunities being closed one? 
at a higher rate than it would have for the onesies, right? So undoubtedly, when you, some of those onesies get followed up, you'll be able to create an SQL, you'll be able to produce an opportunity sometimes. Chances are they had friends who were in your data too, or who came into your data after that uh, moment occurred. What we want to do is develop a picture of that so that you can show everybody in the organization, here's what it already looks like today. And one of the thought experiments I use with our, our customers around this is think about what would happen in your organization today if you had five different people from the same account come to your website uh, and each interact with one piece of content, fill out a form, download one piece of content. What would happen when you know this thing, which is obviously a very, very good thing, right? What happens that next day? You know, and the answer is nothing, absolutely nothing. Nobody even knows it happens, right? That's the thing that you got to fix. You know, jokingly, kind of, I would say, go find out the extent to which that is happening. And then, you know, don't tell sales it's happening until you fix it. Because, you know, when they find out that this is going on all the time in your data and that you didn't tell them about it, <laughs> they're not going to be thrilled, right? Uh, so I think that's the that's the approach I would take. You've got to build that case internally. Now, if you look in your data and you see you've only got one person from each account coming in, that's strange. I suppose it could happen. But then if that's what's happening, one, is that what you want to be happening? Like if you have an ABM program or something like that in place and that's what's happening, then your ABM program's not working. Uh, <laughs> right? Also, think about if you're marketing on purpose to multiple buyer personas, Ask the question, what is that going to look like if it works? Uh, how are you going to know if it works? And the, the two primary ways you're going to know if it works is when you're going to get more leads from that set of accounts. And what's going to happen more than that is you're going to get a ton of anonymous traffic from those accounts. And the reason I say that is that 95, 98% of B2B traffic is anonymous. So the first thing that's going to happen is there's going to be a whole bunch of anonymous traffic on your website. So. If that's what's going to happen when you do ABM, then the next question you ask yourself is, how am I going to notice and execute based on that? And if what you have in place is marketing automation and Salesforce automation, and essentially that's it, the answer is you can't. You can't notice it and you can't do anything about it, right? And if that's the case, don't do ABM. You're wasting your time, right? You're not going to be acting on all of those signals you're generating. So that's the, the process I would go through with uh, any B2B organization to understand what that problem looks like right now. And also, what are the things that we're doing that uh, we're not going to be able to take advantage of if we don't change how we're operating against that? That makes sense. And would you recommend maybe leaving old process in place as you start to test? Do you kind of keep a hybrid? What's, what's a good best practice to make sure you can transition it's a great idea uh, to test and pilot. And, you know, the, your ABM program, your ABM operation is a great place to pilot that. doesn't have to be all of it, depending upon what the size of it is. But absolutely uh, do pilot. Also, uh, a, a lot of companies that we talk with, you know, hardly anybody's uh, ready to rip and replace how they generate leads and, and opportunities. That's too scary. So you do have to pilot. The other thing you can do is, is a sort of this hybrid where you keep your MQL model in place for a while, but then change the way uh, I mentioned, which is that when you get an MQL from a company, open up an opportunity for that and have the BDR 
work from the opportunity and grab any other individuals who are or have been recently active from that same account, attach them to the opportunity and off they go together. So that's a nice hybrid approach that doesn't change the kind of main signal that causes action, but it does increase it. And you can build the case over time for why, okay, this should prior- change the way we prioritize, the way we follow up on things. So the one thing that that doesn't fix, like it fixes you know, the fact that here's a bunch of different people and we want to work them together. What it doesn't fix is you may end up waiting while there are three or four or five people from an account to bend to your website, looking at your content, and you're waiting for one of them to become an MQL. And that day or two days or a week or whatever may be the day or two days or a week where the competition talks to them. And so the next step after you kind of experiment with the MQL plus approach Eliminate the MQL, say, you know what, we're not going to wait. If we see multiple individuals from an organization, we're going to take that signal and pass it along and make sure we do something with it. Now, that, that's a little bit more complicated uh, to build. It's not impossible. Using uh, lean data, you can do that. And uh, using our solution, you get uh, something that also incorporates intent data, the anonymous traffic on your website and that kind of stuff. So what's making this an opportune time to think this way. Why now? Well, I think, um, you know, when I talked about the kind of different eras, you know, we came through the leads era and people want to do ABM. Uh, and that's largely in order to, because the lead stuff wasn't working all that well for a lot of different people. A lot of companies are now coming to the same conclusion about ABM. Like by itself, without changing the fundamental processes where we recognize demand, it doesn't actually fix much or it doesn't make things much better. So I think there is a a substantial piece of the market that's already at the point where they're like, okay, uh, we're not where we thought we would be because of this. And then the technology. Uh, The technology is continuing to improve our ability to see all of those signals in one place, the ability to attach multiple leads together and put them on an opportunity automatically is available now. It wasn't even just a few years ago. So I think it's a combination of those things. And it always has to be. Like there has to be a a supply and a demand, right? So, you know, tools like uh, Lean Data have the, they supply the solution and the, but the demand has to be there. And the demand is right now, it's people recognizing that if they're running ABM and you have an old lead-based system, that's kind of missing the point. And people also beginning to say, well, okay, I see my friends in other places who are doing ABM the old-fashioned way, and it's not really working that great. Why don't I skip over that and get to something else? Yeah, and I think the buyers, too, you mentioned earlier, if you wait for what you might call an MQL, you might be too late. There was the stat, they do 79% of their research before they contact you. Now that's up to like 90. Sensing that buying group, I think, has become even more important with the more investigation happening digitally. Can't afford not to be looking holistically as account activities. I've been talking about this quite a bit since I got to Sixth Sense, and I did a a webinar where I did a poll, and I asked in the poll two questions. What would be the ideal point in the buyer's journey for your company to find out that this buyer was in market? You know, and it's like, before it happens, beginning, middle, end. And of course, everybody says, either before it happens or at the very beginning, right? We want to know about it when it starts. And then, of course, I asked, so when do you actually find out? And like, 85% of the response was at some random time or when they choose a vendor, (laughs) right? And so what that means is that the buyer's journey is happening here. Your sales process 
your funnel, your waterfall begins whenever they get in touch with you. And that is going to make that completely random. Like everybody wants a consistent, predictable process. But when you, when you realize that you find out about buying processes at a completely random time each time, you can't have a predict, you know, it's like, what's your average sales cycle? Well, that's about six months, but it ranges from two to 12. You know, it's like, you know, that is because sometimes you find out at the beginning, sometimes at the end, it's not up to you, right? So seeing all of these signals, all the third-party intent, all of the anonymous traffic allows you to get much closer to seeing that buyer's journey when it's starting so that you can be much more consistent in where you engage. I think that's really huge for organizations. I would think if you're opening that minus two opportunity stage and thinking through managing the opportunity is going to give you very different data about how you're doing, much more visibility, and that makes things predictable. And also, really savvy customers are automating and optimizing every part of that opportunity management, not just buying, but also how do we close the contracts faster? Because it's speed, speed to address the buyer, speed to close the deal has become such a huge competitive differentiator. If you're working in that opportunity, you can measure those stages all the way through to them becoming a customer. Thought where you're going to go with a little bit was also, you know, we've been stuck in this land of, of trying to have marketing attribution of some kind or another. And lead-based attribution, in my opinion, is probably among the worst things that's ever happened to B2B marketing. It's just so wrong. It's not even comprehensible how it could be. You know, it's, it's a, you know we know that the buyer is out researching solutions long before, or, you know, they, they might even come to your website and fill out a form on day one, but you don't know that. And they're probably going to be on your website anonymously and looking at content all throughout. And so the idea that there's something magical about the first person who fills out that form from that organization, it's nonsense. Uh, I keep citing this, but Clary's blog that they did back in April, where they looked across their customers. And if a deal was 250,000 or greater, there were 19 people from that buying organization who were either consuming content from marketing or interacting with sales somehow. And if the deal was 50 to 250, it was 10 or so, right? So with that many people engaging, pick one of them and go, oh, that's the one. Let's attach everything, every decision we make about marketing tactics and marketing budget to that, right? In um, defense of the marketing folks, as you talked about those various stages we've gone through, I think for a long time, there was questioning marketing. What is marketing doing? How is marketing contributing? So you got to find a way to try to prove your worth. But we've moved beyond that. And I think, you know, the savvy CMOs today are revenue minded. They're not activity minded. So I think we're, we're ready to move beyond attribution at the lead level. And the capabilities are there. It's true. The tools have not existed to do that well. And they, they still don't really exist to do this other kind of attribution well. A lot of bigger, more sophisticated marketing organizations are building it, uh, but there are roadblocks. Like if you tell a sales rep, well, we've got this great regression model that identifies the impact of marketing tactics at various points and how much of the variability in close rates it accounts for. Can I tell you about it? They're gonna tell you to buzz off. <laughs> you know, they're gonna know, no, where is the lead, right? I think we're still not even there um, across B2B in being able to 
even tell the truth in a way that the rest of the organization is going to be able to, to understand. I consider that part of my job. I know that folks back at Forrester Series decisions still do as well to help educate the market and think more clearly about how we do this. Because again, it's, it's not about who gets credit for what, it's how do we know what worked and how do we figure out how to do more of the thing that is working. And the what is working is always about getting sales more and better opportunities. That's the name of the game. That's why, you know, if you're on the marketing side, it's kind of why you exist, right? That's a big part of it. So how do we do that better? And sales has to cooperate in that. Right? Sales can't just say, no, just tell me about who got the first lead, because that's not going to be the answer. I think you make an, an important point. What are we trying to do? We're, we're trying to identify companies that need our solutions, that we, we can meet their needs. And that's at the heart of what we're trying to do. Are we the right fit for those companies? Or are we not? Do we not have a right you know, market fit to, hey, we just don't reach the buyers to... You know, are not really working internally to move those along fast enough. So I love the idea of the opportunity because it, yeah, it just changes the, the language. And that puts the emphasis on the thing that sales actually cares about. I mean, they do. That's what they care about is an opportunity that can get the pipeline. And when marketing can be purely focused on producing that opportunity, even producing a count of things that is the same as that, that was kind of one of the benefits for one of our clients back at Forrester who implemented that new process of attaching these to an opportunity and having the BDRs go. Well, one of the things that was a byproduct of that was that marketing started producing a report saying, here's how many opportunities we're activating every month. So instead of leads, now they're reporting on opportunities. So a sales rep can look up in their territory now and see a report of how many opportunities are now activated in the marketing part of the funnel, right? And that's a thing that they care about and look at and, and want to measure now uh, because it's not just a random number of leads and I don't know how many things are going to come through from that. That's an opportunity inside an account that I own. And that's like a much more real thing. And that just that by itself helps bring marketing and sales together. And we're now we're talking about the same thing. That is an exciting dashboard to build. So I think that's a great tip for the ops folks to get everybody looking at the world through that lens. It's very, very cool. Thank you for, for sharing this perspective. This is really interesting. Any other big takeaways you want listeners to get? I think that's a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and a lot of things that I think uh, require pretty substantial mind shifts and process technology shifts. I think the main thing is right now, everything that I've talked about today is doable. And I never talk to a marketer who goes, you know what? Our lead-based stuff is just awesome. Uh, it's great. And you know what? Sales reps love it. I mean, that doesn't exist. We all have been working in this realm that nobody really likes or trusts or believe is right. Until very recently, we haven't had the tech and we haven't had the momentum behind uh, the movement to change that. But we're there. You know, we have the tech. Uh, lots of different pieces. Lean Data has a piece. We've got a big piece. Uh, we've got a lot of organizations now who've been through the grinder with leads, with ABM. So, I mean, if you're a lead-based shop today and you're thinking about doing ABM, or stuff, I would just say, look, skip the old-fashioned ABM. Think about the things that we've talked about. What does your buyer look like? What do they look like in your data today? And then base what you do going forward on that, right? That How do we recognize that buyer better? How do we prioritize them, capture the signals that we see, prioritize them better? 
that's the way I think to think about it now. And don't limit yourself to what you think is possible in the technology today. There's always going to be a way around it. Perfect. Thank you. And we appreciate all of your thought leadership and helping us to continue to evolve and probably losing sleep over the dumb things that we're all doing in B2B <laughs> trying to solve it. Well, that's how I know. So. <laughs> but I think you're going to see through the next wave very soon. So I have a couple of questions for you in closing that I ask everybody. Uh, first is, what advice would you give someone who's just about to start in their first operations role? I, I think the main thing is do not be limited by the questions that you have that your predecessors have been able to answer that they train you on when you take your first role. Your job can be much bigger than that. The other thing I would say, operations has been look, looked at as this kind of technical role. You're the, you push the buttons, you make things happen. But I think operations folks are in this really unique position where you understand the technology and you know the business. And when you can combine those two things, you have the ability to see creatively what's possible, right? So instead of thinking about what can I do today and that's it, it's like, okay, well, I know how this stuff works and I know how the, what the business needs. What can I do differently to make this operation more efficient, more effective, I think the operations folks are in a great position to see that. Brilliant. That is excellent, excellent advice. And I see that happening too as operations professionals are, I think they're getting freed up too by the new technologies that are coming out that are helping automate a lot of the things that kept them, their heads down. Agree with you. And final question, who in the world of operations would you most like to take to lunch? It's a good question. It would definitely be somebody from the sales part of the operations spectrum. One of my old buddies at, at Serious Decisions and Forrester worked on some things with, he was a, a big uh, mover behind the kind of RevOps movement, if you will, uh, Dana Terry. And I think, I think he deserves a lunch because I think he did the world a lot of good uh, for that. So probably, probably buy him lunch, pick his brain about what he's doing now. Brilliant choice. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. Yeah, it's been fun. Appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. The Upstars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com. And then make sure to search for Upstars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Upstars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.